Someone once told me, if you want to know what's really important to a person, you only need look two places, their checkbook register and their calendar. On this episode, how to align your calendar with what matters most. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 431. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. And of course, as leaders, one of our calls, not only for ourselves, but for others, is to use our time effectively. And on a practical level, aligning our calendar with what matters most, not only for ourselves and our careers, but of course, for the priorities of the organization. And even though we all know that that's such an important thing for us to do, we all struggle with, I know I do on a daily basis, a struggle with really making that alignment work for us and for others. Today, our guest is going to help us to really do this effectively, someone who has a ton of success in business and in leadership, but also has the research to back up so much of the practical steps he's going to teach us. I am glad to welcome Nir Eyal to the show. Nir writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. The MIT Technology Review dubbed Nir the prophet of habit-forming technology. Nir founded two tech companies since 2003 and has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Platter Institute of Design at Stanford. He is the author of the best-selling book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and his new book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Nir, I am so glad to welcome you. Thank you. It's great to be here, Dave. So I was diving in on this book, and there's so much we could discuss. And the thing that, that's, that came up for me was you quoting Seneca, the Roman Stoic philosopher. And the quote from him is, people are frugal in guarding their personal property, but as soon as it comes to squandering time, they are most wasteful of the one thing in which it is right to be stingy. Tell me more about what that quote says for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So it it really talks about the essence of why I wrote Indistractable, which is trying to to answer this age-old question that philosophers have been, <laughs> been trying to figure out for as long as recorded history almost. You know, we have not only Seneca, but we have Aristotle and Socrates debating the nature of acrasia, this tendency to do things against our better interests. And so, you know, it's interesting these days when we think that distraction and technological addiction and all the the, the, the things that pull us off track are somehow new because of these technological distractions. And in fact, nothing could be further from the truth that figuring out this, this riddle of why do we do things against our better interests was, was really fascinating to me because you know, the, the fact is when, when you read most self-help out there, you, you already know what to do, right? <laughs> you yeah. know that a chocolate cake is not as healthy as a healthful salad. You know that we should exercise at the gym. We know that we should, when we sit down at our desk at work, we should do that hard task that requires us to focus, that presentation, whatever it is that we need to prepare for. And yet we find ourselves 
you know, checking email or Slack channels or Googling something when we know we should get down to work. Why? Why don't we do what we say we're going to do? And so that's really the, the big question when it comes to indistractable is, is how do we become indistractable? Now, indistractable does not mean never getting distracted. Indistractable means, by definition, it's a word I made up, so I get to make up the definition. The definition <laughs> that's the best part of is, a word you make up. Right, exactly. That's a, a poetic license here. Is, being indistractable means striving to do what you say you're going to do. And it's interesting because you know most people that you meet out there are honest with others, right? They don't stand other people up. They they do what they're going to do with other people. By the way, this is really the secret to professional success: is just do what you say you're going to do. Be a trustworthy person. Have integrity. But when it comes to personal integrity, why do we lie to ourselves? Why don't we do what we say we're going to do? And so for me, this whole question really piqued my interest when when I found myself getting distracted. So my last book was called Hooked: How to Build Habit Forming Products. And it was this book about how we can use technology to create healthful habits in people's lives. But I also understand the deeper psychology behind how unhealthy habits arise in people's lives. And so I found that I was getting distracted in my life and I wanted to know why. And so I read every book on the topic that I could possibly find about time management and focus and distraction and technology addiction. And they all basically said the same thing. Get rid of your devices, right? Get rid of all the distractions. And I tried that and it, it didn't work. <laughs> the fact is, I need these tools for my livelihood. I mean, there's so many people that I would not connect with, so many friends that I wouldn't stay in touch with were not for these technologies. I love them. And it didn't deal with the real issue, the real root cause of distraction. So the, the book is really about an exploration into the psychology of distraction. Why don't we do what we're going what we say we're going to do? And what is the root cause of distraction itself? So I'm really interested in what you said there of do what you say you're going to do. For a lot of people, they haven't even gotten that far yet of of really saying what they're going to do. Because one of the things the research shows that you cite is that a third of Americans don't uh, or keep rather a daily schedule, which means two thirds don't. And so you make the point that it's not a distraction unless you know what it is that it's distracting you from. In a lot of cases, we haven't even defined what's important in order to be distracted from it, right? That's absolutely right. And, and so this is kind of what drives me nuts about the current conversation around the role that technology plays in our lives. You know, it's so interesting because I've worked with hundreds of people and, and many of them will tell me how distracting the world is and how these technology companies are distracting them and building this addictive technology that's keeping them from doing what they need to do every day. And I understand this deeper psychology, but my first book was about this, right? It was called Hooked. I mean, I, I know very well, I've worked with companies to build habit-forming products, you know, for good habits, not for frivolity. But, you know, I understand the technology that's being used. And I understand the deeper psychology that's being used. And my first question will always be, wow, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry that it seems like things are so distracting for you these days. But can you, can you tell me, you know, what did you plan to do with that time? You know, you, what was the thing that you planned to do that distraction pulled you away from? And, you know, the overwhelming majority of the time, somebody will, they'll, they'll take out their phone and they'll kind of sheepishly look at it and, you know, they'll look at their calendar and, and I'll say, well, can I see your calendar? You know, can I see what distracted you, what you plan to do today? And it'll be blank. The calendar will be empty. You know, maybe a dentist appointment here or there or something, you know, something like that. But, you know, the, the fact is in this day and age, if you don't plan your time, 
somebody else will plan it for you. Mm-hmm. Whether it's something happening in the news, your kids, your spouse, your boss, Facebook, Slack, email, something is going to eat up your day if you don't decide what you're going to do with it. And so it's absolutely critical to do what I call make time for traction. So the opposite of distraction is traction. Traction are these actions that we take that move us forward in life, that help us do what we say we're going to do with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, any action that takes you off track. And so you know what we see today is that a lot of people make this simple conclusion that it's the technology that's distracting me, right? But in fact, if you plan time for those things, if you plan time to check Facebook, to watch Netflix, to you know watch the big game on TV, whatever it might be, it's no longer a distraction. It's traction because it's what you planned to do with your time. So I'm not one of these people who who makes these you know moral statements that you know spending your time with some things is okay, but spending your time on other pastimes is somehow bad. No. It's only a distraction if it took you off track from what you intended to do with your time. A lot of folks, when they're thinking about getting better at this, they start keeping task lists. And almost everyone I know runs a task list for something or they run their day off a task list. What's the trouble with using a task list in order to define what's important? Yeah, so I call this the myth of the to do list. The myth of the to do list says that if you just magically write something down, that it'll get done. <laughs> and you know, everybody when you say it out loud, it you people realize how ridiculous it is. When I say this in front <laughs> right. of a crowd, people usually giggle because they know exactly, come on, you know, this is so stupid. What? And and by the way, I am guilty of this. I mean, for Oh, me too. <laughs> up, in, up until yeah, up until I wrote this book. I mean, this is what I thought I thought I was being a very productive person. I write down all my tasks every day, and then I'm supposed to tick off the box next to each task and you know, as I do them. Well, you know, let me let me confess that for years now, I would take yesterday's things that I didn't finish and put them on the next day and the next day and the next day's to-do list. And this went on forever and ever. And so, you know, that when I when I finally studied the psychology of distraction, what I realized is that, you know, to-do list is an incomplete tool. If you just use a to-do list, you're really only using half of the solution. The other half of the solution is to make time for those tasks. That so many people are focused on the output. That's all they think about. I need to get this done, this done, this done. Well, those are outputs. But human beings are horrible at predicting output. There's been many studies that have shown that people are really bad at predicting how long a task takes them to do. So what I tell folks and what I advise is not to plan the output, only plan the input. Well, what inputs can you control? You know, there's so many exogenous factors to what you have to do for your job, what you have to do in your in your personal professional life. And, you know, so many things can interfere with an output. You know, if you need to do a big report, a big presentation, well, you need the graphics from Marty and you need the data from Susan and all these different parties have to align to get you to do the task by a certain deadline. So you don't always control the the all of the factors that go in that end in an outcome. But what you always control is the input of time. So the, the rule here is control for the inputs and the outputs will follow. So that means if you have something on your to-do list, you need to make time for it in your calendar, right? There needs to be a time and place where you will do what you say you're going to do. This is the whole crux of becoming indistractable is making time for traction, making time for those, those actions that you are going to do with intent. 
Ah, uh, yeah. As I'm thinking about this, I saw a study three or four years ago, and I forget who it was from, but the crux of the study was that the most successful people, and I forget how they define success, but the most successful people don't use a task list. I saw it and I was like, huh, interesting, because at the time I was mostly running stuff off a task list. And as I read through the study, I found it really interesting that the challenge that a lot of folks had run into who had found better ways to do it was the same challenge I'd run into with the task list is that I was really bad in the moment of deciding what I should do next on my task list, or I would pick the thing that was seemed (laughs) easiest to knock off the list, but not necessarily aligned with the most important thing that I should be doing throughout the day. So I'd end up having been busy, but I haven't necessarily focused time and attention on the thing that was most important or have figured out how much time I really should have put into it. Have you found that struggle too when you were doing task lists before as, as that kind of a dynamic? Oh, it's so interesting. You know, it's it, this is anecdotal, but in my experience, when I've I've worked with you know thousands of, of of different executives and their teams, and it's amazing, the executives will all carry around a schedule. It's either printed or they're using their calendar. They're you know they're looking at their phone for their calendar, but most of them actually print out a piece of paper with their day's agenda, their day's calendar, literally by the minute. But their teams don't. <laughs> and yeah. so if there's one good rule to you know becoming more productive in life, you know, is is, is emulating the, the the habits, the behaviors of the person that you want to be like. So if you want to move up the corporate ladder, well, we should probably take a look at what the executives are doing. And they are keeping a calendar down to the minute. And so that's why just what there's four main techniques to becoming indistractable. And one of those main techniques is to use what's called time boxing. You know, it's one of the most studied areas of psychology is this idea of setting an implementation intention. Thousands of studies have now shown the, the, the promise, how, how effective it is to simply say what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. And that's what making a time box calendar is all about. And again, this is only one of four techniques, so I don't want to overemphasize it, but it is something that's, that's incredibly practical to do. Now, this doesn't mean that we become militant about every minute of our day. What it means is that we set a template for what our ideal week looks like. And mm. then every week, you know, for me, it's a week increment, but you know, for other people, it might be a month-long increment. It might be a daily increment. It depends on how frequently your schedule changes. You're looking at that calendar and you're assessing, hey, did I have enough time for the different things that I needed to accomplish? Did I have enough time for email, for meetings, for that presentation? Whatever it might be, you're, you're looking retrospectively at the calendar, as opposed to looking in the future and just guessing, you're looking at it based on data, based on how did I do according to this calendar. Maybe I need to make more time for the things that I didn't get done. And so that's why this technique is, is so powerful. It's called making time for traction. This It's fascinating because I found myself doing the same thing over the last few years. I still keep a task list, but I probably only look at it every two or three days just to catch like administrative stuff mostly. But for things that are important, it's blocking out time during the day to do it. And I want to come back to you on something you said just a moment ago, the ideal week. Tell me more about the ideal week. Yeah. So, so this is where we have to start. You know, the, 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 when it comes to making time for traction, it really starts with understanding our values. You know, many people will talk a good game, myself included, about what's most important to them in life. That they say, oh, you know, my, my family is very, very important to me. My health is very, very important to me. But when you look at their calendar and when you see where do they spend their time, you know, they, it, it doesn't always reflect their values. 
And so the idea here is the first step is to to define for yourself based on your values. And I'm not going to tell you what your values should be. If you want to prioritize work, that's wonderful, right? If you want to be in the office, you know, 20 hours a day, that's totally up to you if that's in accordance with your values. And it turns out if you if you take some time to assess those values, to, to introspect a bit about your values, and then you live out those values on your calendar. This is what I call turning your values into time, like literally being able to visualize on your calendar where your values are manifested in your schedule, then this is what we have to do. This is the process of introspection to make sure that we align our time with our values. And it's starting with the center is ourselves. How do we spend time on improving ourselves? Well, we can make sure that we make plenty of time for sleep. We can make sure that we make time for eating healthy meals. We make time for learning. That you know, we spend time with the audiobooks, with the course, with whatever, whatever it is that improves our mental well-being. And then the outer circle of that is our relationships. That we have to make time for our values to spend time with the people that we care about most. So whether that's our children, whether that's our spouse, whether that's people in our community, again, that time needs to have a place on your calendar or as you and I both know, it won't happen, right? We, especially these days where we have this epidemic of loneliness. We know that loneliness is as detrimental to people's health as smoking and obesity. And there is a loneliness crisis today in America, especially with the decline of civic groups and organized religion. The cost of that has become that we just don't get enough time to be with people who we care about and who care about us. And so the solution to that is to make time for your friends. And you say, oh, well, I like to be spontaneous. The fact is, if you don't make that time, it's not going to happen. So we need to do what I call planned spontaneity, right? Where we plan time in our day to get together with our friends on a regular basis where everybody knows, okay, this is what we're going to get together. So I do this little friends group I describe in the book called the kibbutz. Every two weeks, we know same time, same place, we're going to get together. If you can come, great. If you can't come, then that's fine too. There'll be enough people around the table to have a discussion. And it's on the calendar. It's booked in advance. And then finally, when it comes to our workplace, this third circle, right? So in the center is you, around that is relationships, around that is your workplace. And this is where most people spend the majority of their day. Now, even there, we want to make sure that we spend our time in a way that is consistent with our values. So is it part of your values to constantly do reactive work? Perhaps. I mean, if that's your entire job is just responding to customer service requests, well, then that might be what your job description entails. And all you're doing is, is reactive work. But what I find, and I'm guessing is, is the case for most of your listeners, is that they require also some reflective work. And if we don't make time for that reflective work, all we're doing all day long is reacting. Between reacting to emails and reacting to, to meetings, we don't make time to actually do the kind of thinking that is required for creative problem solving. In this day and age, when so many jobs are being mechanized away, right, that, that artificial intelligence and robotics are, you know, that we know what's in store for us, that all of the, the rote jobs of the future will be mechanized away. And so the only jobs that will matter and that humans will continue to be needed to do are the ones that require ingenuity and creativity. But we can't be creative. We can't design new solutions if we don't have time to think. And people in general don't make time to think. They don't make time to strategize about their life, about their business, about how they can succeed. You know, it's amazing how many people will run to a book or to a guru or to a seminar 
when they could get so much out of their lives by just sitting down and thinking, yeah. writing down what's, what, what you're processing in your mind. It's, it's an incredibly valuable tool, but we don't do it unless we make time for it. And, and like you said earlier, if you don't plan your time, someone else will plan it for you. So if you're not going to take that lead, someone else is going to crowd into that time for sure. I'm curious how you do this, near for yourself. When you sit down, I assume weekly or maybe monthly, and do that time blocking, how do you make decisions? I mean, I'm curious what it looks like logistically for you, but I'm also curious, like, how do you make decisions on how much time you're going to block on a particular day for a particular activity? Yeah, so I'm actually looking at my calendar on my screen right now, so I can I can walk you through it. So for me, I wake up every morning at 7 a.m. I have breakfast from about 7:15 to 8 a.m. with my family. I'm in charge of making breakfast for my family. Then I work out for an hour. Then I write for uh, two and a half hours. Then I have lunch, and then the afternoons change day by day. So Mondays is my what I call message Mondays where I batch all the non-urgent emails I get and it reduced my email, my time spent on email by about 90%. So Mondays are for our message Mondays. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays are typically meetings. So, so I reserve that time for meetings, for phone calls, for things like that. And then Fridays are my afternoons where I have time with my daughter. Uh, and I even plan out my weekends, all right? Because again, you know, it's, it, it sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm being very anal about how I spend every minute of my, of my day. But the fact is, this is a template. And so once I've set up that time, and I can actually give you a free tool to do that on my site, that it's a free scheduling tool that you can actually use to do this once and then it saves it so you can come back to it next time and make small adjustments to it, is that you know, also in my calendar is 15 minutes every Sunday where I sit down and I look at the next week's calendar and I assess, hey, what didn't I have enough time for last week or what you know, particular instances are coming up in the week ahead that I might need to adjust accordingly? Do I need a little bit more time here, a little bit less time there? So I'm, I'm tweaking my calendar as opposed to I'm not making a brand new fresh calendar every week. So it only takes me about 15 minutes to keep it updated from week to week. I do almost the exact same thing you do. And the criticism I hear when I share that model with others, and I'm sure you've heard it too, is I don't want to live my life like I'm always on a schedule or an agenda. I want more freedom. When you hear that from people, how do you respond? Hey, look, if you don't have a problem, then this might not be for you, <laughs> right? If you feel like you are doing everything you want to do in your life, if you feel like you are living to your utmost potential, if you feel like you spend enough time fully present with your kids and on your work and on your health and on your body, then bravo, that's great. I don't know how to do that without forethought. Because if you don't do that to these days, the fact is technology has gotten so good at distracting you. Not only you know, Facebook and Instagram and Slack and email, but you know, the news. We think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a good citizen. I should keep updated on what's happening with national politics and news. That can be a distraction. You know, the, 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 what, what's a, a great show on Netflix, of course, can be a distraction. Even, you know, even a colleague stopping by your desk to say, you know, hey, what's going on, Dave? Can we chit-chat for a little bit? All of that stuff, it's not necessarily that it's bad, but the fact is if you don't time box, if people can come in and steal your time whenever they damn well please, then I don't know any other way to live the kind of life I want, to live up to my values, to be the kind of person I want to be unless I make time for it. And I think part of it is that we need to shift our perspective a little bit. People think that constraints 
are a limitation to being their best. And it's actually the exact opposite. That if you think about, you know, as an author, I can tell you the worst thing in an author's life is a blank page. Mm-hmm. Once we have an outline, once we have, once we're going uh, on a path, it's much, much easier. It's the blank page. If you talk to a, a painter, the worst is the blank canvas. Why? It's the tyranny of choice. And this is also another well-studied psychological phenomenon. When we have unlimited choice around all the things we could do, it's like you said, right? I have this long to-do list. Now I'm expending cognitive energy on deciding what I should do. <laughs> as opposed to when it's in my schedule, when it's in my calendar, there's no more guesswork. I know that to live up to my values, I just need to follow the plan. We had a guy on the show a few years ago named Mark Barton who wrote a book called A Beautiful Constraint. And the research is like super solid on this too, that it turns out the more constraints you have, generally speaking, the more creative you are and how you move forward. And it's exactly what you just said of that dynamic. It's it's fascinating. And, And to be honest, it's, it's so reinforcing, right? To, to finish a day looking at your schedule and to say, whoa, I did what I said I'm going to do. That is one of the best feelings. I mean, it, it's about integrity. To look at yourself and to know that you did, you kept your promises to yourself is, is a high, right? It's no exaggeration. It feels so awesome. And I, I feel bad for people who haven't experienced that. And I know there is no way you can experience that unless you plan your day unless you become indistractable. I know there are people listening who are just nodding their heads and saying, yes, uh, it's exactly what I'm doing or I'm working toward this. And I know there's also folks listening who are thinking, this is not something I can do in my organization. My time is not my own. I am pelted Mm -hmm. with meetings from senior management and from customers and from peers. To those you run into who feel like, they don't have the ability to take command of their schedule and to do the time boxing. Where do you invite them to start? The fact is, you know, I've, I've worked at some very big companies. I've also helped start some startups. And I will tell you that the techniques that I just described are absolutely useless without an environment that respects people's time. When I dove into the research around what causes distraction at work, why do people not perform at their best? Why is it that, that, that we seem to be accomplishing less and less, even though we're more connected than ever? What I found was that my original hypothesis was completely wrong. I thought that technology had kind of ruined the modern workplace, that the fact that we're all on Slack, the fact that we have constant connection through our cell phones, the fact that we're constantly emailing each other, that's why it seems like we can't do focused work anymore. And my apple cart was completely overturned because what I found in my research is that there is not a correlation between how much technology a company uses and how distracted people are at that company. Hmm. That in fact, what I found in my research is that distraction is a sign of dysfunction. It is the skeleton in the closet in an organization that indicates a dysfunctional company culture. And so this is, this is a breakthrough for me because I've worked at, at, at you know, many companies in my, I've worked with and, and at several companies, and it really rang true once I started to understand this research that it started for me when I, I, I uncovered this, this research by two psychologists by the name of Candy and Stransfield, and they did this amazing study where they actually found that there are two conditions in a workplace environment 
that cause, not just correlated, but actually they've shown a, a causal relationship with workplace anxiety and depression disorder. So they found that two conditions actually make people crazy at work, okay? And that sparks what's called an internal trigger. An internal trigger is an uncomfortable emotional state, which we seek to escape. And the way people escape these feelings of depression and anxiety is through distraction. And those two conditions, so what are these, what's at the root of the problem? It's not technology. The root of the problem are these two workplace conditions that simultaneously lead to anxiety and depression disorder. They are a workplace environment where the worker has high expectations simultaneously with low control. So if you have high expectations, but you can do something about it, you don't get any of these negative effects. But if you have high expectations and low control, the confluence of those two factors literally leads to anxiety and depression disorder. And so when you have that type of work environment, there is no other relief valve. The relief valve to that stress, anxiety, and depression is feeling like you have control over something. I'm going to send one more email. I'm going to keep checking my Slack channels. I'm going to constantly be pinging people. And so what we find is that these organizations with a high level of expectations and low control, people are essentially making work. <laughs> they are creating more work for each other through this cycle of responsiveness is what it's called, where the technology is the facilitator of this constantly on cycle of responsiveness where people are constantly checking, constantly distracted, but it's not the root cause. And so I profiled two companies, one that doesn't have a problem with distraction and yet is steep with technology, and that's Slack, right? This company, it's a group messaging service. I'm sure many of your listeners use it, group chat service, that many people blame for keeping us distracted. <laughs> right. Turns out at Slack, they don't actually have this problem. The other is a company that used to have a huge problem with distraction and now has solved that problem, and that company is the Boston Consulting Group. And I talk about this case study of how they tackle this problem of distraction by changing their corporate culture. And, and there's a lot more to that, but I, I don't want to drone on forever here. <laughs> uh, no, this is fascinating. Have you, have you met or do you know of David Marquet's work, the book, Turn the Ship Around? Yes, I met him. Yes, yes. Oh, I you him. did? Oh, cool, cool. So he's yep. been on the show a couple times. And what you just said is exactly what he found in his work commanding the ship and having some miraculous turnaround was... He says, you know, employee engagement, you're, you're just giving lip service to it unless you give people ownership. And the, his whole thing right. is giving people ownership over what they can do and empowering them. And that's the best way to engage. And it's exactly what you just said. If people don't have that, then they're going to find ways to engage, but it's going to be the things like Slack or sending emails or the things that are the quote unquote distractions, right? Yeah. The, the problem of distraction is really the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, I hope folks are hearing what I've discovered is going through the book. I mean, there's so much here that we could talk about. We're just we're just zeroing in on one key piece as far as calendar and time and time boxing. So much more here. Uh, so the book is available now. So uh, it'll actually be launching tomorrow from this uh, from this episode airing. And near there's a few resources on your website as well. You mentioned the template, and we'll include that in the weekly guide. But could you tell folks about what's there for those who want to go dive in more? Absolutely. Yeah. So at nearandfar.com. So near spell like my first name, N-I-R, nearandfar.com slash indistractable, which is the title of the book, indistractable. 
And there you will find all kinds of resources. So not only will you find a scheduling template that can help you make your own time box calendar, there's a distraction tracker, there's all kinds of tools that you'll get there, including resources, many of them free online resources that help you actually put distraction in place so that we make sure that we can get the best from technology without letting it get the best of us. Awesome. So we'll uh, get everyone over there for those of you who are looking for the resources. And Nir, I got one more question for you. Uh, you know, leaders yeah. are always learning and growing. And you have led companies, you've sold companies, you have taught, you have been a writer. As you've gone around speaking to people over the last couple of years and implementing so many of the things you've taught, what have you changed your mind on? So I would say, you know, just because we've been on the topic of distraction, something that I, I think I've you know, really changed my mind about is this idea that distractions happen to us. And in fact, what I've learned over the past five years of studying the deeper psychology of distraction, what I've learned is that distraction starts from within. That we are constantly cued by both external triggers and internal triggers. External triggers are those pings, dings, rings, the things that prompt you to action outside of us. And they can certainly lead you to either traction, the things you want to do. So for example, if you get a ping on your phone, it tells you, hey, don't forget to go work out or you're meeting someone for, you know, for lunch, that can help lead to traction. But we also know, of course, that all those external triggers can lead to distraction, right? If it's it, taking you away from a conversation with a friend or interrupting you during a business meeting, that can lead to distraction. So those are the external triggers. What I don't think I appreciated before I wrote this book was how powerful the internal triggers are. And the internal triggers are these uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape. And it actually drives all human behavior. I, you know, The psychology community used to believe, and most people out there still believe, that human behavior is driven by two things, the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. This is Freud's pleasure principle. And it turns out that's not true. That in fact, neurologically speaking, all human behavior is motivated by a desire to escape discomfort. So that means if all human behavior is motivated by a desire to escape discomfort, and you know this to be true, it's called the homeostatic response. If you think about physiological sensations, right? When you're cold, that's not comfortable, you put on a coat. When you feel hunger pangs, that's not comfortable, you eat. That's physiological sensations. The same thing happens to our psychological states. When you feel bored, you check the television. When you're uncertain, you Google. When you're lonely, you check Facebook. So all of these things are triggered by these internal triggers. And so what this means is if all behavior is motivated by a desire to escape discomfort, that means, and this was my big conclusion, that time management is pain management. Mm. That in order to make sure that we do what we say we're going to do, we have to understand the emotions, the feelings that pull us off track. Distraction starts from within. That's something I've changed my mind about. The book is Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Near Aal, thank you so much for your wisdom. My pleasure, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. We've had many past conversations on the show about productivity, uh, planning, time management, and three of them in particular will be helpful to you in addition to this conversation today. One of them is episode 184, Getting Things Done with David Allen. Uh, he is, of course, the author of the bestseller, Getting Things Done, probably the seminal book on time management and productivity for our era. And in that episode, David walked through for us some of the key tenets of getting things done, and then he took questions from our listening audience on 
how to utilize the methodology effectively. So we can spend more time on the things that are most important, just as we were talking about in today's conversation. That's a great introduction to the Getting Things Done ecosystem. And if you're a GTD fan, as am I, and have used it, uh, or maybe you've heard about it and you'd like to dive in a bit, episode 184 is a great starting point for you. I'd also recommend episode 207, How to Transform Your Limitations into Advantages, with Mark Barden. He is the author of a book called A Beautiful Constraint. This is a conversation I have thought a lot about over the years since Mark and I have had it, and in particular, the philosophy behind the book in the case that if you really want to create some amazing things in life, one of the best ways to do that and to be creative is to put constraints on it. Uh, a lot of us think and assume, I know I did for a long time, that if we just had all the resources, all the time available in the world, boy, we could get a lot done with it. And it turns out most of the people out there who really create amazing things and are creative and build great organizations and teams do it with uh, constrained resources and learn how to work within those constraints. And those constraints actually drive more creativity and productivity. It's very, very well aligned with this conversation. And if you'd like a little more inspiration on that, episode 207 is an important listen for you. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 319, The Way to Stop Spinning Your Wheels on Planning. In that episode, I just by myself solo walked through what I do uh, to plan effectively, how I approach my uh, systems how do I plan for the long term over a course of a quarter? And then how do I actually tactically break that down and plan out each week? So if you really want to get into the tactical details of at least how one person does it, episode 319 will be helpful to you. And I use a philosophy, or not a philosophy rather, but a structure that is tuned into a book called The 12-Week Year, which is planning in much smaller increments. I found that to be so helpful to me over the years. And uh, if you're looking for a system that'll help you to plan effectively, use your time well, episode 319, a good starting point for you. All of those episodes are available on the Coaching for Leaders website. They're actually all tagged under the topic of productivity. If you go on to coachingforleaders.com and log into your free membership, you can look at all the past episodes on productivity and many other areas. And of course, you can search everything by topic. If you haven't yet set up your free membership, boy, I'm inviting you to do that because there's so many great resources for you up there, including the episode library, searchable by topic. Also, when you join the free membership, you get access to everything in our portal there, the book notes, my own personal library, uh, the member cast, there's a whole bunch more. And you'll also get access to my weekly leadership guide. Every week I am scouring the internet looking for some of the best articles, audios, videos that others have posted out there. And then putting them in a guide and sending them to you on Wednesday. So if you're looking for some more resources, that's a great place to start. Coachingforleaders.com to set up your free membership. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Denise Hinden on the show. She is going to be teaching us how to work with a board more effectively. So join us next week for that. Have a fabulous week and see you next Monday. Take care.